Welcome to the Prodigal and the Priest podcast, a podcast about faith, sports, and two friends from different cultures. Here are your hosts, Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, I guess whenever... Howdy, howdy. The faithful are listening. The universal address for any time, any place. Somebody was telling me the other day, they said... You know, every time you ask Father Paul, hey, how was your day off? What did you do? And they're like, he just goes golfing all the time, right? I was like, yeah, now you know a little window into my <laughs> life of being like, yeah, he just goes golfing. Because it's not just every Monday. It's every other day. No, I'm kidding. Um, every other. It's every day. Every that's day. A, that's how I see I it. I haven't been golfing in like two months. It's been too cold. No. Yeah. I don't believe that. What what day is it? I don't even know. It's in January. It's January twenty sixth. I feel like January. early on. I definitely didn't go in one month because that was. Uh, yeah, not two though. In December, you definitely went. December because you invited me like, around my birthday, like early December. Yes, something like that. Yeah, I may have invited you, but I'm not sure if I actually went. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, what'd you do on your day off? I took a little study day. Little fraternity Ooh. study day. Saw okay. some priests. We talked about some stuff. It's the year of Saint Joseph. We talked about the uh, the document that came out from the Apostolic Penitentiary, which is a pretty cool uh, yeah. congregation, dicastery, whatever in the Vatican. They always make very concise documents. They're lawyers, and um, they put out a document saying, like, here are all the ways you can get a plenary indulgence in the year of Saint Joseph. It was pretty awesome. They they really opened it up. That's We've great. had an episode on indulgences before. If we were prepared, we would be like, go listen to episode. Da, da, da. Sometime a couple months ago. I feel Is like everything I a couple months ago? Yeah. No, I have the I had worst a baby sense. A couple months ago. <laughs> I have the worst sense of relative time. <laughs> everything was like a little while ago. It's just this big blur. I can't, like, you know how people. Since are, when? Like becoming a priest? No, like, since always. <laughs> So I don't know what happened in what grade. Uh, people have all these like milestones in their memories and they tie them to like, I was this old and it was this month and I was in this grade and I don't have any of it. It's just, I know things that happened. I remember. But you don't have a distinct and memory and stuff. of when, like your first memory. Like yeah, I can I, go back and be like. I have early memories, but I don't know which one's the first. You don't remember like some event or something that happened in like preschool and can recall it. Yeah. Uh, wait, is preschool kindergarten? No. <laughs> kindergarten is kindergarten. That's before kindergarten. <laughs> preschool is before kindergarten. Yes. Some I, people call it pre-K, preschool. Yeah. So we didn't have these American in designations yeah, yeah. in Bermuda, which was what, on the what British What grade system. did they start school in Bermuda? You start in primary one. And, and, and you're how old? I don't know. Is that equivalent <laughs> to our kindergarten? Because Fran goes to I kindergarten next year at five. I think that's right. I think, I think the way it is in Bermuda is that primary one is kindergarten, and so everything is one year off. But you're telling me preschool's before all of it. So I think yeah, I like was... Yeah, St. Anne's, the parish you're stationed at, <laughs> has a preschool, and it's the three years prior to kindergarten. Fran, I mean, you can do it any year. But I think they offer up to three years, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Fran turns five. 
she's eligible for kindergarten next year. She'll be mm. attending the same school as Dom, crazy, next year. But she's in pre-K right now. So she's four years old. She goes to St. Anne's preschool. Huh. Yeah. All right. I, I have a memory from when I was like, I think I was in first grade. I okay. don't think I have any memories of Prior. being in preschool, but maybe they happened while I was in preschool. It's true. Um, well, to get What's your mom's name? Patty. Patty. We got to get Patty on the show. Yeah, that's right. we, that, that would be a fun episode, <laughs> the mom's episodes. Maybe the we mom, bring on both. Yeah. We'll phone just, them in. Just let them, like, tell yeah, tell just, people how terrible we talk. are. Like, we can take the week off. That's right. So I was talking to my wife, and she was like, what are you going to do on the podcast? And I'm like, I don't know. I have two hours, okay? Calm down. And so she was, <laughs> and she said, uh, I think you all should do a little bit of a, uh, like a mini s- series on a topic that instead of just like here's one here's one here's one when something big comes up you know we've hit big things but yeah kind of started off and i feel Uh like from looking at the questions we have a lot of questions regarding recently scripture a lot of questions regarding saints and a lot of questions regarding in general the mass Mm. so i thought i'd put you on the spot and say what do you want to start a little series on? And we'll start today. Let's, Which, do the, let's do the biblical roots of the mass. So combined two? Yeah. Sure. Are you down for that? I'm or down I for don't that. Know, you gave me like this, you're like mass. No, I, I mean, I love the mass. Uh-huh. I go to multiple masses a weekend <laughs> with the live stream. So yeah, let's start there with the mass. So we're going to talk about the mass um, as Catholics, why it's important, maybe some misconceptions about the mass and, okay. um, Let's let's break it down into like it is broken down into liturgy yeah. of the word, liturgy of the Eucharist. So let's start there. The mass is broken down for those who either are not Catholic or not familiar into two liturgies: liturgy of the word, mm-hmm. where we hear the Old Testament reading, the Psalm, the New Testament reading. Lots of words. Lots of words. The gospel. The gospel. And is the homily included in the liturgy it of the is. word? There you go. What moment? So is the creed. Okay, Creed, what about the preparation of the altar? That's when it shifts, That's right? when it shifts, right after the intercessions. Intercessions are still part of the liturgy of the word. Great. And then when you prepare the altar, all right, everybody sit down. We'll pass around the collection basket. <laughs> We're preparing the altar. That starts the liturgy of the Eucharist. So one thing I want to start off with, because most people know we're two friends from different cultures and just even liturgical of, you know, I did net ministries. I went to Franciscan, kind of a charismatic community. Yeah. You a more traditional community. Mm-hmm. Hear a lot of arguments about shouldn't be guitar in church, should mm-hmm. only be organ, should only be this or that. One question I hear brought up, and I'm curious your thoughts on it. So the Last Supper, right, mm-hmm. was the first Eucharist. Yes. How can some people come across so strong and say, organ is needed and this is needed and that is needed if the first one Mm. didn't even have it? And I know there's a lot of flaws in that viewpoint, but (laughs) it took a long time to evolve to what some people Mm -hmm. say it should be and what other people say it should be. So, I don't know. 
I just want your initial thought on that. When we look back on that. Yeah. The question is, why don't we try and imitate that as closely as we can instead of doing whatever it is we do here? Yeah. Or the two camps that you have that in Mm -hmm. some sense divide our church a lot of times. Not St. Anne's. I'm not saying St. Like the universal church, a lot of times there is this, you know, there's a church nearby us. I'm not going to say what the church is, but I know they think certain things of us at St. Anne's. St. Anne's thinks certain things of them. And I'm just like, yeah, I wish we could just go back and ask Jesus. (laughs) What we should do? Well, he gave us... (laughs) WWJD. Well, we don't have to. Um, that's a weird thing to say. Like, I wish, you know, I could talk to him face to face as well, but, um, but the thing is like, that's why he gave the Holy spirit to his church to guide the church. And that's why he gave us the, um, successors of the apostles who are the bishops and their collaborators, the priests and the magisterium, which is the teaching authority of the church and all that Mm -hmm. it's to teach in his authority, um, and to make these, these decisions under the guidance of the Holy spirit. So, um, like I, I, I just want to address that before even getting to the actual question because it's, um, um, <laughs> sorry, got distracted squirrel. Um, because like there is kind of a, like an easy out when you take that, that kind of thing. Like, well, I mean, if we could just go ask Jesus to settle it, it's like, well, he set up the church with structures of authority and right. and the whole thing uh, for this exact reason. So, and in that, <laughs> that's a weird in. Sorry, I'm very, uh, very self-correcting right now. That's um, all right. In that structure, there is room for a lot of uh, variety. And that's an important reality just to recognize, right? So why do people um, then... Why do some people approach it that there's not? Well, for many different reasons, but (laughs) some of them are aesthetic. Uh, Some of them are objecting to abuse, uh, various liturgical abuses. Right. Right. Uh, Because those are very real. Um, Some of them are uh, saying like this particular thing manifests the beauty and the truth of our faith and it, it works towards a certain goal and the other one doesn't work as well. And that's, mm. that's, you know, that's an argument that you can have about two goods, yeah. right? You're like, this one's good, but this one's better. Mm. Um, and so that's an, that's an area where we should be able to play <laughs> and, and have yeah. like real discussions uh, about, you know, why we do the things we do and all that stuff. But, but yeah. Um, Okay, I just, so, I, you know, we don't have to deep dive as much. Feel free, finish that thought, but okay, then yeah. we'll go back to liturgy of the word. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I, I think that's that's where I wanted to go with that, is like the the liturgy has taken on many different forms. Yes. Um, in different ages and by different region. Um, certain forms of the liturgy have gained um, a kind of, preeminence over others Mm -hmm. uh, in part because like this is what was done at Rome um, and as far as the Latin church is concerned like Rome is determining uh, the form of the liturgy other churches look to Rome Um, and so like there's some you know beautiful prayers and stuff in in other liturgies that say like I'm thinking back to the Council of Trent right there was a big sort of like 
we're going to take all of this variety, some of it good, some of it not so good, right. and uh, systematize things a little bit. We're going to make a typical edition, typical, uh, like an editio typica, the, the standard edition that you look to. Um, so that's the thing. That's happened at different points during the church, history of the church where they will like um, prune uh, the liturgy. And there's always a risk in doing that, but there's also like you you hope that that it's done so as to allow like you know what is blooming to to grow yeah. even better, bear like, more life, yeah, bear more fruit, that kind of stuff. So, um, that being said, uh, just I this this is how I think about it. Sorry, it's a massive question. It's hard not to deep dive on yeah. it. Um, but this is how I think about like the variety um, of options that we have in the liturgy. I think everything should be subordinate to this goal of intimacy with God, right? That's our goal. Um, and so whatever music choices you're making, whatever uh, sort of aesthetic and even like textual decisions that mm. you're making among the legitimate options, the way you carry yourself. Uh, if you're one of the um, ministers, like all of those things should be promoting this uh, intimacy with God, which is the goal of the liturgy from an aesthetical point of view. Um, right. And, I think even if things are nice uh, or if something is very well done, if it's not promoting that goal, right? Like an interior contemplation, which yep. is where we find union with God, then uh, I think that it needs to come under consideration. And so that's that's like, I don't know how that principle has been articulated throughout history and if (laughs) that's always on people's minds and stuff. But like when I look back over the history of the liturgy and it's like, how did it get from kind of last supper to council of Trent? I see that as the principle. Yeah. Um, And I think theologically that makes tons of sense. Um, So you personally, I'm not saying it's your preferred, but you're not opposed to the guitar being at church. No, I'm not opposed. It's allowed. Um, I don't think it's my preferred. Uh, oh, right, right, right. But, That's what I'm saying. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't think it's sacrilege to have it either. Right. Um, yeah, right? I think the, that's good for people to hear, though. I mean, I come up a lot against that argument as a youth minister, I would say, for a lot of people. And I'll be honest, I do feel at certain times a lot of people in the charismatic world have a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> you know? And I, I mean... I, I think that, yeah. So, good to hear. All right, let's jump into the first part of the Mass. All right. Okay. So, it. we start, we have the introductory rites. Yes. Okay. We have the entrance, the very first thing that happens, right? Mm-hmm. The entrance. Any, so we're going to go snippets and Just thoughts piece on by things. piece and comment. Yeah. I like it. I love the running commentary style. Um, so, yeah. Remember the first word you just said, running. Running. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you're, you're like, great. Yeah, because I would get hung up on no, just no. <laughs> this spot. Um, well, I'm going to do a little like back and forth. Great. Right? Because as you said, um, my tastes tend to be more traditional 
if you're going to put them on the the spectrum of like right. of all that. And I think it's helpful to to know historically how things develop. Yeah. Um, and it gives some context. So like the way the mass begins right now, you process in, and your options are either, well, actually, there's a couple musical options. Um, there is an official songbook of the church called the Gradual. Right. Um, the Gradual refers to a very ornate piece of music, which was sung kind of where the responsorial psalm is now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's called Gradual because graduale means like to make, take the next step, basically, a gradation. Right. And this is the step between the reading and the Alleluia verse and the gospel. So it forms this bridge. That's why yep. it's called the Gradual. That also gets taken up as the name of the chant songbook uh, for the church. So that is in the documents of the church. That's like, that's held up as this treasure that we want to promote, recognizing that that's not everybody's cup of tea mm-hmm. um, and isn't always something accessible and people normally can't sing along with it. Yeah. But also saying like, this is not something we want to lose. So it, it's always put in this position of prominence right. in the documents because of that. We don't often hear it uh, because of those other reasons I said. So you have the option for that or for a hymn, or if there's no singing, you're supposed to do what's called the entrance antiphon. antiphon. Um, Many it, priests say it once they get to the altar though, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 You're uh, not like saying it as you no, walk No, if in. you were singing it yes. from the gradual or from yeah some book of chant yeah. you would be chanting that antiphon so i think it's i think it's helpful uh to know that like the very first thing in the liturgy is technically a quotation from scripture mm-hmm. that is either said or chanted right. that kind of uh introduces us right um that's even before the sign of the cross latin mass yeah. no procession correct latin mass you process in but you so when we say Latin Mass, we mean the the extraordinary form. Extraordinary 1962, form. Uh, the liturgy that was more or less what it was uh, before. Excuse me, Vatican, Vatican II. II. Um, so, uh, 1962, what you do is you process in, and then there are a bunch of preparatory prayers that you do before you ascend up onto the altar, uh, which is kind of a cool thing. They historically used to be done in the sacristy as private preparatory prayers for the priest. Mm. Um, that's, I think, still a tradition worth keeping, but we don't, um, it's just not something that's, I think, known or thought about or done a whole lot. Right. But um, that is something, you know, one day uh, when I have my own sacristy, like I'll probably put up <laughs> a bunch of kind of prayers on the wall and it'll mm-hmm. it'll be related to those kind of preparatory prayers. That's cool. So in the extraordinary form, you do them in front of everybody, everybody's kind of joining in the server takes the people's place and they all basically make this uh sort of they they say the confidier they say the i confess Mm -hmm. um and and then after that you go up and say the entrance antiphon got it so and so very similar actually and break oh go ahead yeah they look quite different but they're actually quite structurally similar right and you're you get up and I'm just taking St. Anne's as an example. You walk up the aisle. You try to avoid my son trying to high-five you. Oh, yeah. Um, no, Dom, Dom's the worst <laughs> and the best. 
No he comment. was totally jumping no up, trying to say hi to you, and you just snubbed him the other day. Literally, it was like he was waving in a 737 Boeing. <laughs> and he was like, Father Paul, Father Paul, yeah, love our priests that ignore us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not great with like the eye contact thing, walking in. Walking out, I'll do a little bit more of it, but walking nice. in, it's just like... I don't know, kind of head down. Well, and it's it's <laughs> also weirder during cross. COVID because you can't even smile. You got the eye smile, like yeah, like I don't want to encourage people, like kids, to try and high five me mm. because COVID. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah. So I I, I, I digress. <laughs> so you get to the front. Symbolism in you bow. Yeah, you, you bow, bow to the altar. The, so right. this is I think helpful for people to know. Um, so. You bow to the altar and you kneel to the tabernacle. You genuflect before the tabernacle. Um, you bow to the altar because the altar in some way symbolizes Christ. Um, this is where the Eucharistic sacrifice uh, happens. This is where Christ um, becomes present in his body and blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. And this is also the symbolic table of the meal from which we're fed, right? right. Of the Last Supper. Um, so the altar has a lot of significance. And there is a ton that goes into, like, the building and dedication of altars. Like, only a bishop can dedicate an altar. I mm. can't just go up and do that. Yeah. Um, it's a big deal. So you bow to it. But you go down on one knee, you genuflect when the blessed sacrament is present in the tabernacle, because that's like an even greater step of real presence mm -hmm. than the altar, right? The altar would deserve a bow. And so in our church, the tabernacle is not behind the main altar. So you bow to the main altar. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people get in the habit of either bowing or genuflecting based on where they grew up going to church. Right. Um, and they don't know the distinction. So like right. if you went to our chapel where the, uh, Blessed Sacrament is reserved in the tabernacle behind the altar, right? Mm -hmm. You have both altar and tabernacle right there. What do you do? You genuflect. Um, and so that's what I do, right, when I process in and I get there. Yep. I genuflect when the tabernacle is there and Jesus is in the tabernacle. Right. And while we're on that distinction, always on the right knee. Also. Always on the right knee. I see people going on the left knee. Yeah, it kind of um, just bothers me. Yeah. Isn't there something to that? Not, I, mean, I don't know his, if it's liturgically, <laughs> the history part that people always say about you go on your right knee because your sword was on the other. And so you're honoring your king. You couldn't, you ever heard that analogy thing? Uh, maybe. Is that just a feel good that, story? That kind of makes sense. <laughs> I don't know that much about like Knights. swords and things. <laughs> you ever I, been to medieval times though? No, I haven't. Oh man, we got to go. With chicken Dom. wing or whatever it is. I think it's like leg. a half a chicken <laughs> they just put on your plate. No silverware. Oh yeah. I say I haven't been there, but now I'm is this another? Myself. Is this another memory thing you can't really... <laughs> I'm, can, can I say I'm not sure if I've sure, been there? Sure, whatever. Okay, um, so but yeah. you genuflect, so you genuflect right, on your right, right knee. knee. Historically in times when bishops were a little more like princes and sometimes actually did control territory, right? Um, mm. You would genuflect on your left knee in front of a bishop. Uh, at cool. least, you know. That's great. Uh, that that used to be a thing. Don't do that to a, a bishop now. Like they would um, get really confused yeah. and think Just, that you were treating yeah. them as God and probably quote something from Acts of the Apostles at you. Like, yeah. You know, 
Um, cool. So you bow, you go up. Yeah, and then you kiss the altar. And you kiss the altar. Now, significance of that? I think... Just a secondary mm-hmm. kind it's of... It's definitely a sign of respect. Uh, St. Thomas has a thing. So again, in, in the old liturgy, historically, you would... I think there were five times you would kiss the altar and turn around. For the five wounds? Oh, he had a he had a whole reflection on it. It feels like there are more than that. So I'll I'll look into that and I'll bring it up next time. But he has a whole reflection on on that and links it together with all sorts of stuff and it's really beautiful. Um practically I think it's just a sign of reverence. But in the Maronite liturgy, so one of the Eastern liturgies, right? Mm-hmm. Um actually our Lady of Lebanon, which is not far from Saint Anne, yeah. uh uses the Maronite liturgy. Um their liturgy at the very end, one of the last things you say is you kiss the altar, which is what we also do right before we leave. Skipping to the end. Mm-hmm. Spoiler. Yeah. Um, you kiss the altar, and as you're doing that in the Maronite liturgy, you say this whole prayer about, like, I may never see you again. This might be my last Mass. And so, like, Lord, bless me in reverencing this, this your most sacred altar. And Whoa. if this be the last time, then let me come home safely to you kind of thing. That's cool. It's pretty awesome. Um, I don't remember the exact prayer. It was a long time ago. I, I <laughs> Even if it's it, but, just that, I'm like, in. <laughs> yeah. So like there's this whole sort of, there is a lot of wedding imagery too, like a nuptial uh, imagery, the the wedding feast of the lamb uh, who yes. has betrothed to himself um, us, that is the church. And so the wedding of the church and Christ um, is another really beautiful uh, way to look at the mass and with the kiss of the altar and the priest who stands in persona Christi in the person of Christ uh, in persona Christi capitis in the person of Christ the head um, there is sort of a kind of nuptial sim- symbolism there as well now I think a l- cool little nuance for our listeners correct me if I'm wrong every altar has some remains of a saint in relics them. Very relics good. in them when did that do you know any background of when that started why that started yeah. obviously saints no, are goes, holy people you want their intercession back. yeah for sure you know um i don't even do you know who's that saint Anne's? Mm, i've seen the list uh i don't remember any of the names right some and just of, so people know it's not like some clear glass and you see a finger or something. These are uh, like shards of bone. Yeah. Mainly. Yeah. And um, there, there's a little spot under the altar cloth. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. At least here actually, at St. Anne's. So like what you do is you, you put it there. There's a little place say ours is made of stone. Yeah. Right. So what they did is they hollowed out a bit in the altar. They put the relics in there and then they put another stone on top, on top. of it. But yeah. you can tell when you're looking at the top, like, yeah. which one it is um, did somebody mess up on this <laughs> yeah so the history there is actually really beautiful like it it sounds it sounds kind of creepy at first like shards of bone in the right. altar and you know why are catholics so weird when it comes to saints this goes back to the earliest days of the the martyrs um so like think think uh think Colosseum in rome right mm-hmm. the Colosseum. this is where you would have these so gladiator. Sort of gladiator. <laughs> yeah, think gladiator. Russell Crowe. That's not what you're here for. <laughs> Are you not entertained? 
<laughs> and I haven't seen that in a long time. So great, um, that movie. In in my mind, it's greatness, but like, I don't know. Does it stand up? Like, I think for so. A we got to watch it. All right, we'll do a rewatch and a review. But um, <laughs> so, <laughs> we're probably not going to do a review. <laughs> so um, think, think Gladiator, right? That was the arena in which a lot of Christians were put to death. Um, after they were put to death, dying very directly for their faith because they were Christians. So giving te- testimony that is marturia in Greek um, or marturion uh, in the singular, but they were martyrs, um, just like uh, the proto-martyr St. Stephen, who dies in this way, which is like even in, in the scriptures when you read that part of Acts of the Apostles, it's so reminiscent of Christ in the crucifixion. Like he's participating and making manifest by this witness uh, the passion of Christ. Right. And so that's what the martyrs do in this very direct way. And for that reason, they're honored as like, this is a place where God's power was, was at work because they did not deny the faith in the face of the greatest trial. Right. Like they witnessed him unto death, death on a cross sometimes. So, um, so the martyrs were honored very early on um, for that reason as participating and making manifest the passion of Christ and their remains were collected by the Christians. So like, you know, as gruesome as it is, just imagine like Colosseum, you've got the lions and stuff like, like these Christians die and then everybody goes home. It was a great day at the, at the blood sport games, watching the Coliseum stuff happen. And the Christians kind of, you know, get permission from the guards to go in and collect up the remains of these martyrs. They go and put them into uh, the catacombs outside of Rome. Mm-hmm. And then they go and they gather there um, to remember like this, this tragedy, which is also a great witness to the power of God, just yeah. like the crucifixion itself. Um, so they go give witness to these things and they're like, this is the ideal place to do this in remember in remembrance of me yep as Jesus commanded us to do so they celebrate the Eucharist down there as well um, so already you've got like the remains of martyrs being linked together with the place where mass is being celebrated and uh, epic yeah you just move a little bit from there and it's like okay we've got some shards of these saints and martyrs um, in the altar. Uh, at every yeah. Catholic church. I remember one time being a smart aleck and something to one of my professors. And I said something like, they were talking about the creed. And then I was like, well, let's get to the good part, like the liturgy of the Eucharist or something like that. I don't know, some passing comment. And I remember my professor going on a long thing, just being like, you realize the words we say are the same words that people like spilled their blood, gave their life for all this. Yeah. And I was just like, all right. <laughs> so, good I, news. We've almost done a full episode. And by almost, I mean, we've done a full episode. And we and haven't even hardly started. <laughs> we haven't even gotten literally to the no, greeting. We're the side of the cross. <laughs> the side of the cross. So, but, this may be a longer series than we think. But, go ahead. You were going to say something. I, I do want to just mention one little thing. Yeah, this might be a long series or... I don't know. We'll we'll discuss it. Maybe we'll come back to it occasionally or yeah, maybe yeah. we'll go straight through. But I think people are going to love this, though. All right. I mean, um, uh, that's a very prideful statement. <laughs> but, I mean, 
Yeah, you're welcome. Well, everyone. if you do, show us by your donations to our podcast, <laughs> to our Patreon, to our Patreon. <laughs> what if somebody's um, <laughs> somebody's in Patreon right now, like Prodigal and the like Priest, looking for it? They're donating to another like podcast with the priest. I'm like knockoff. Um, I had a moment like like what you described with your professor when I was. I still remember it. This this one I remember. I don't know how old I was, but it was my sophomore year. At University of Dallas, I was at the Rome campus for their University of Dallas Rome semester, and I was taking Western theological traditions, mm. Western theotrad. So probably twenty years old ish. Yeah, something like that. Um, and uh, I, we had to read this from this book called Early Christian fathers or something i i still have the book um but we very <laughs> i forgot the last word but um this we had to read from this book it it was basically my first real theology class uh except for another one i'd had at ud as a very intro to things um but the first one that i, I kind of took more seriously and did the reading and really engaged right. and we read something called the martyrdom of saint polycarp um, mm. and that was intense. Like we'd, we'd already read some of the letters of St. Ignatius of Antioch. Um, and already he's talking about things like he's writing to the, to, to, you know, the other Christians, he was a yeah. bishop, right? He's writing to the Christians, uh, saying like, I may be in prison. They may be about to put me to death, but don't you go and stop them because like, I'm finally going to make it Yeah, <laughs> like, He's, he's doing the St. Paul thing where he's like, you know, I, I want to be here with you right now, but like, it is better to be with the Lord. And if this is my time, like, don't prevent it. And so I'm sitting there reading that, like, what in the world is he talking about? And then... Because this is before your, re, like, your this reconversion. This after it, but... Okay. But like, but not, not deep that into long. it. Like, this yeah. is like, I don't know, less than a year okay. after it. And I'd read a ton of stuff about the faith, but I hadn't taken that step to like grapple with the the reality of martyrdom and and like that kind of thing. So I was reading a lot about God's mercy, but like the the passion and stuff like that and our participation in uh in like bearing the cross ourselves and all that. So yeah. I, I had never seen anything like this. So I saw St. Ignatius of Antioch talking and then the martyrdom of Polycarp, which I believe was written by St. Irenaeus, who was his disciple. Mm-hmm. Um, and Polycarp himself was uh, a disciple of St. John the Evangelist, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so you have that link. There's also a link to Texas there, but I'll get to that some other time. Um, and uh, like he is, he's running away from... Uh, the authorities that want to catch him and turn him in for being a Christian and being a like a popular bishop, basically, because uh, it's not legal to be a Christian um, at this point. And so he's running away. So that's that's interesting, right? Because he's not like seeking out martyrdom. And then you actually see this other story of somebody who's like, hey, let's all go get martyred. And then he's the one who uh, doesn't like hold strong in the end. And so it's okay. This isn't something you seek out, but when, you know, when it's time, God's grace will sustain you. That's kind of the, the message. And then finally he gets, he gets martyred and there's all this like 
it, it's weird to say beautiful imagery, but yeah, but really like tremendous Eucharistic imagery. Yeah. Um, in that account, so martyrdom of Polycarp. I remember reading that, and that was the first time I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is <laughs> like You're like this is fun." <laughs> wow. Like, yeah. Like this is what it means to imitate Christ. Yep. Um, Galatians. To, I'll, I'll end on that. Galatians 2, uh, verses 19 and 20. For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm. For the life I live is in the flesh, is according to faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen. That's it. Amen. Well, hey, make sure to uh, reach out to us. Uh, also, yeah, share any questions you have maybe on, on the Mass or any of that on our uh, question edition. Yeah, please do. You can submit your other questions as well. We'll answer them all. Oh, and also give Greg the Seminarian a hard time because he's a Packers fan and they <laughs> lost this, <laughs> this past weekend. It's so cruel. And he hates Tom Brady. So on behalf of Joey's kids, uh, Father Paul Vector, take care. God bless. God bless.